and gentlemen. <laughs> no. Uh, I hope I didn't know. <laughs> no, you you push the conversation in a very in a very in a very uh pertinent direction. You know, and DJ got a lot he want to say about it, so we're going to jump into it. But what I want to throw to y'all, what I want to throw to y'all, and I'm going to throw it to DJ first, is, you know, when we think of affirmative action, a lot of people think it's the, you know, black folks and minorities getting, getting a, you know, a free ride or getting access where, you know, we talked about it where you, they created a box for us to jump into and a box for us to check, and we can embrace it in that manner. But let's talk about this affirmative action where these others have taken actions in an affirmative manner to make sure that they have a place or what we like to call a seat at the table. Cause you were getting you were getting into it, you were getting into it. So go ahead and finish and elaborate on your point. Listen man, it's it's ridiculously hilarious how things can be misconstrued with just a few words. So when you think about politics, the the art of politics is essentially delaying a decision until that decision no longer matters. So we'll make the decision after it has no merit or impact. And if you look at the current state of the political landscape, you'll see that now. But it was never more relevant and true than when civil rights, affirmative action, all those things were taking place. Affirmative action specifically talks about African Americans, correct? Is that correct? Or, or yeah. What do you think? Well, yeah, it does. Yeah. So, so specific- marginalized group, groups, yeah, underrepresented groups. But it, C- came, correct. it came initially supposedly to help African-Americans. And the, 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 the operative word that you use is supposedly because it was actually an inroad for other groups to, to show up as being underserved. And listen – there's been no no one more underserved in this country than the black woman because even after black men could vote, they couldn't. You still had to have say women's that, suffrage. Say that, say that truth one more time for me. There's been no other party that's been more underserved in this country than the black woman. And that's because of the several line items that he, she had to check off before she could even be considered you know, equal or what have you. Now, that's not by chance. So when you think about the way things have happened and the way people have been marginalized, you know, I can only laugh a little bit to keep from really getting pissed off because what ultimately happens is everyone is lumped into your political category based on those words that Dr. Lovins just used, underserved, underprivileged. But when you look at other um, types of, I would just simply call it what it is, reparations, so to speak, it is for a very defined group of people, and those groups of people have had uh, accounts and funds and trusts set up in order for them to tap into to apply and receive resources, whereas, you know, you or, or we were afforded the opportunity to compete, to simply compete. And it was not, and I think people misunderstand affirmative action because it was not that the tie goes to me. No, I get to compete where I I could not prior to. Is that the so Biden house? Talking, hey, listen, it, you, you're from where I'm from, Jim, Jim Crow. So once you once you get past slavery, once you get past desegregation, which had a lot of unintended con- consequences that we can certainly talk about. But then when, once you make it to Jim Crow, you're going through several layers 
of psychological warfare that you have to unpack in order for folks to really appropriately be able to, to engage. And even once they're able to engage, they're being told that the opportunity to compete is a gift that's being granted to them. I want you to really and truly think about the impact that that has on a culture of people and their way of thinking over generations. The opportunity to compete is a gift that has been granted to you by a law that was passed by someone who intended the law to be leveraged for someone else. The, the illusion of opportunity, so to speak. So it's not that affirmative action didn't serve its purpose when applied appropriately, because we have to remember that laws have to be applied equally and appropriately and it's up to judges and uh, lawmakers to do so. So, but is we know to, in, in, so is it safe to say that there was an illusion of a box at some point? It was we a box. Our best to get into. And, Absolutely. And like said, the politics delayed it until the box was actually created, but the box was set up to be typecast. Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying, Arthur, because when you think about the fact that if I tell you that you can't drink from my water fountain, naturally, what water fountain do you want to drink from? You can't sit at my counter. What counter do you want to sit at? People want to do the things that people say they can't do. They they just want to. But if I develop the understanding that along the way, if I develop the understanding that, you know what, money is circulating in this community 26 times before it exits, how could we get access to that money earlier? Let them drink out of the water fountain. Let her drink out of the water fountain. They'll never drink from theirs again. So it's, I'm, a, I'm a supporter of black business, but I'm also a port supporter of great brands that do right by people. So by no means am I saying that, I, you know, I buy exclusively black. I, I would love to. But the fact of the matter is I can't right now, and I, I don't. But we can do better about supporting each other. And part of the reason why we don't is because we're still unraveling from we're still unraveling from that box. And so when you look out and you think about the unintended consequences, if there were black owned businesses, which was doctors, banks, attorneys, uh, your local butcher, essentially everything you had to have for sustainability and survival, that was eliminated with desegregation. Not that it was a horrible thing, but it was delayed into a point in which it could be leveraged for the proper use for the larger society. Because now you're putting people out of business that look like those people, and where are they coming and bringing their dollars? So, yes, I am saying that that box was created to firmly submit and implant you in it, and it is very difficult to get out of something that you don't know you're in. That's you that, you that's think that, you got that, it good. That's the duality and the balance of inclusion versus di diversity in a sense to where, Correct. you know, when, you, when, you're in, when you're being included, is it really that diverse? And just because it's diverse, diversity, you know, diversity on the board, diversity in the workplace, is it really inclusion? Or is it, you know, is it is it like that, the, the segregated box put inside of it? So it's like, you know, let's, let's, let's be honest about it. It's a, it's, a, it's a pen full of one type 
of cow and then you take an, another smaller pen and put it inside that pen but you keep another type of cow inside that smaller pen so it's it's included and it's, it looks as diversity but are you really being inclusive that true inclusion would allow that intermingling when doctor, freely yes that laissez-faire <clears throat> that's it free markets when when dr king wanted to have the conversation with said president at the time it would have been them working together and him having a voice or the leaders of that time having a voice in the laws that were being passed because they would have been reflective of the voice of those people. When you have in that time, your oppressor creating the law by which you now succeed, your success is going to be extremely limited and it's going to come in very small phases. And I think that time and condition and circumstance has shown that it did. But Dr. Levy, I'm very, I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts. Um, I'm inclined to agree with you there. Um, Desegregation and so-called integration um, served, I think, to integrate black people into an economic system without the benefits of ownership, right? Mm -hmm. And so you went from a position where we had to own, because otherwise we wouldn't have access to goods and services, to a position where we became consumers. And you still talk, hear people talking about the economic power of the black community, but it's always um, expressed as our ability to choose what it is that we're going to purchase. And all of those things that we are going to purchase, by and large, are owned by people who aren't black. Right, And so that's that's part of the problem is um, real uh, agency and real freedom within a capitalist economy is, uh, is, is secured by having access to capital and ownership of capital. And what was denied us during slavery was any sort of uh, ownership of capital completely, almost, almost exclusively. And then it was marginalized all the way through um, from from 1865 all the way up until, you know, 1970s when they started to try to write things with some affirmative action. But even after that, we still see that there was redlining um, where people would loan uh, wouldn't loan to African Americans in certain areas, basically um, perpetuating uh, perpetuating uh, um, segregation and, and home ownership, and there was still different treatment, and still to this day different treatment from financial institutions for Black folks applying for credit as as compared to white folks, even after you account for credit worthiness, right? And so. You can see that, you know, when people are disappointed at the fact that um, a black family on average holds only 10% uh, the wealth of, of a white family, well, you know, there are folks that can shake their head and say, wow, that's a shame. But I almost look at it like, wow, it's a wonder that we have what we do, considering what it is that we've been through. And so... Um, in terms of in terms of the uh, the environment now and the opportunity for us to um, 
to achieve and hold wealth going forward, we don't have the same level of, um, of, of legal impediments that we once did, right? But there still remain a lot of those psychological impediments, and that's why it's important for us to understand this whole boxing and, and getting out of that, being able to bring our own unique elements of, um, of our blackness into, into our workplaces and, and, and if that's respected and valued by the companies that we work with, then great. And if not, then research suggests that those companies will suffer for, for um, that lack of real diversity and inclusion, and we can take our talents to, to where they will be um, accepted and uh, respected and valued. And, and my hope is that much of that, that talent and that real ability will end up at uh, places with significant amounts of black ownership in those companies so that you can really have the freedom associated with, with, with owning and, and setting your own course in this country. And, and so, yeah, that's why you hear me talk about investing all the time. And yeah, I agree that people are, are more important than things, but I'm going to always stress to people the importance of doing the things that put you in a position to be able to help and bring power to your people. So, if you are spending all of your money foolishly, then I will, you know, I'll caution you about that because the power that you have or can wield in order to improve the lives of yourself and other people around you by effectively investing and growing your money and growing your financial power within this country is not something to be overlooked. And when you can do those things and we, we as uh, as black folks start to do those things um, a, as a as a group, not necessarily everybody pooling all of their money together, but when it becomes the prevailing notion and we're in a position where we are doing it more effectively as a group, then we'll be able to set our course better, right? Do I think that the government owes African-Americans? Absolutely. The United States government owes those individuals that they put in a position where they could not read, they could not earn, they could not have assets, it owes. I don't know that the United States will ever pay the descendants of those individuals, but it doesn't change the fact that the United States of America, people talk about reparations and they say, well, why should white people of today have to pay for the sins of white people in the past and pay black folks today who are doing great? That's not what it's about. It's about the United States government and the disparate treatment and laws that it perpetuated and put in place and and used to disadvantage and disenfranchise those people during those times and the economic repercussions that still reverberate to this day. And so it's a U.S. government thing. So the advantages that I've experienced as a U.S. citizen are in part due even as a black man, to the injustices suffered by black people long ago. Now, we can decide as a country that we're going to, to move forward and handle it. We can decide as a country that we're going to try to sweep it under the rug, but I'm not going to be a part of sweeping it under the rug. If you ask me, I'm going to tell you what it is <laughs> that I think because I know what the truth is, right? You owe that you owe that you owe. We as a country do. And so we can either re, we can either honor 
um, honor that and act accordingly or be forever in the position of the people that owe. But it ain't never we ain't we ain't never gonna be at the place where the debt is paid until we choose to try to acknowledge it and pay the debt. I know that I've gone down a deep hole over here off to the side, but I'm just no, saying no, no, what I'm no. saying. Because it relates to when you start talking about the actions of people who feel entitled despite the fact that they have none of the actual human capital that should put them in a position where they're running this company, right? But they feel just fine about how they got there, having taken no test. And you can't tell me if they cheated to get in the school that it is it is beneath them and they would never consider cheating while they were in, in college. Those people probably buy papers and, and cheating all, all their way all the way through. And they're the same people that sit in these, <laughs> in these board meetings and steal folks' ideas then. Cause you, and they don't even think about it. You know, it's one thing to steal and, and think, of, to think about it and maliciously steal, but to, to have it so ingrained in you that stealing is comfortable that you don't even feel like you're doing nothing wrong. You so, just, let, oh, so, so, so DJ, <laughs> DJ, 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 you can definitely get real about it. Let's dance with it. So you, like you talked about it, it brings, it brings up the point of just how, how the corporation signs you to those deals where it's like, you know, let, you know, back in the day when you had Edison, like people like Edison, I'm going to use them as an example. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you like it or whether you're not, but Edison ran Edison corporation, Edison labs, where everybody that was hired for him, if they invented or created something, Edison got his. credit for it as a patent because it was taken by the company. And it happens today when you sign people sign agreements, especially people that are in research and development and things of that nature, to where the company owns whatever you create. And uh, you know, most companies have some type of agreement like that. But um, I just wanted to bring that point up. But definitely, I want you to speak towards the point of, you know, we go through, you know, the. The past is the past, and things happen the way that they happen. And then, little by little, there's this illusion of diversity and inclusion being sprinkled about. And then, in the grand scheme of things, there is no true diversity or inclusion. <laughs> so you got a board, you got a 12-member board, and you put one minority on the board, and it's like, oh, we're diverse. But then your workforce is still at 10% minority. And management is at 3% minority. Management roles and leadership roles are at 3% minority. And things of that nature where you look at the numbers, and the numbers don't actually reflect what would look like diversity and true inclusion. Because true inclusion and true diversity would in essence be a 50-50 thing, at least, or something where it's not so heavily one-sided. So definitely I want you to speak on that point of this illusion of inclusivity where this box is, you know, this box is like, oh, there's a box for me to jump into. And then you get in the box and you realize, oh, sh- I'm the only one in the box. Man, you, you've, uh, you, you're really uncovering some things right there, but this, this is not new, right? So look at the way the, the country was founded. I mean, it, it replicates the exact story that a Jamu just told about, you know, getting into school, stealing ideas in the boardroom and so on and so forth. Because, you know, I have a niece that's, that's 10, 11 years old now. And in her, in her textbooks in the rural South, she's being told that, you know, slaves signed an agreement to come here and work on a contract. And, uh, at said time, the contract would be up, and they could uh, go on and earn earn a living. I'm like, oh, yeah, they push where the you, hell? They're pushing that indentured servant uh, narrative real tough yeah. now. And yeah, they, this you is know, they're this doing is it real bold. 
Yeah, this is not medieval times. Like there was, there was not indentured servitude where there was a series of seven years because there's no way in the hell that seven years turns into 450. I mean, I don't care. I don't care how much you can't count. If someone says, Hey, you're going to, you're going to serve for a certain amount of time, then we're going to let you go. I'm pretty sure that by the time there's somebody's great grandfather, they've figured out that they've probably been around serving a little bit too long, but you know, one of one one of the biggest things that we have to pay attention to is the narrative. And I think that oftentimes, you know, uh really tongue in cheek words and things about um diversity and inclusion, they sugarcoat what the true narrative is. I talked about politics being the art of delaying the decision. Diversity has always been important. Inclusion has always been important, but now it's profitable. See, that's the word that matters more than anything. It's not that it's important today and it wasn't important before. Now it's profitable. The reason why it's profitable is because women are able to make decisions that they were not able to make just two decades ago, three decades ago. You know, the, the, the earned income of a woman in this country is growing exponentially and exponentially fast. Women are the most educated cohort in this country and growing. And so because of that, she's not forced to make decisions that would allow her or force her, so to speak, to stay at home while someone goes to work and she's barefoot and pregnant taking care of kids. So because her options are vast, companies now have to be more responsive in a different nature. You see, women, again, I, I talked about this earlier in the other show, black women, women in general, but specifically black women, disregarded for the longest, man, the longest. And I'm going to tell you that their constituents were right there behind them. While they may have benefited some, you know, men during that time looked at women, <laughs> you, you didn't have a lot of say so. And I think we, we all know that. Women are demanding things. So as it relates to getting out of the box, I would tell you to take a look at what women are currently doing. They're standing for something. They're speaking their truth. They're owning and defining who they are as women. They're saying that I can be a mother and I'm going to be a great employee. They're power. saying that it, it is. Define phenomena and make it act. And make it act. But they're also moving together. One of the things that we have lacked in our community is the ability to move as one. And we, if, if we can get to a place, <clears throat> excuse me, where there's a shared agenda, because one of the things that we do, black man versus black woman, double minority, uh, I got it worse than you, you got it worse than me. If we could cut through that chaos, and understand that collectively we can demand and accomplish more, we would see similar results as you see with women. Again, it's about being a collective cohort. And I think when you talk about systemic issues, the way that you get through and you cut out the ability for a group to move and enact as one, you create dissension amongst the ranks. And you see that a lot within, uh, within this group. Uh, finally, what I would say, author, around this is you really want to, you know, talk about getting real about it. 
these are things that we have to educate ourselves about and understand. So when you're going into a negotiation with a company or you're you're uh, up for a promotion or what have you, Dr. Jumbo talked about it earlier. You can make a lot of money, but you can't always impact and enact change. Sometimes being a change agent is more important than that $10,000 that you're going to get that after taxes is not going to be much anyway. So you may be able to change the narrative around an entire group of people, but you may be focused on $10,000. So I think these conversations have to be had more so that we know what's vital and what's key, the things that are the critical objectives that we need to accomplish. Because for a lot of us, you're the first to graduate from college. You take on the responsibility of carrying the load for a family. Many times you're often only looking at the financial um, means of a situation or the gain that you can get from it. You're not looking at what you may have to give up from a, uh, a standpoint of who you really are itself or what defines you as you, those those things are really great and grave decisions that are being made by really young people. You know, keep in mind, you're going into the corporate space at 22, 23 years old in most cases if you're not going to grad school. And without conversations like these, where do you turn to get that information? Because many of us are not growing up on golf courses. We're not growing up having these conversations at our dinner table. So unless someone uh, is bringing these conversations into your home or through the through the uh, the speaker on your uh, phone, it's not happening a lot in our communities. And that's a narrative that we have to change if we want to rewrite the course of where we're going as a collective unit. But I would I would point to women and what they're doing right now as a key example of how you how you mobilize a group of people to demand change, and you see that corporations respond to it because it's about profits. Specifically black people, black women. But Dr. Loving, you know, he always stresses people over things, and that's, you know, it's always it's crazy how it, you know, so far we've done three, three, you know, kind of specific but yet broad topics to where there there's always an underlying point to it that we stress that people, you know, are more important than things. So I just wanted to make that distinction because it's, you know, it's, it sounds so simple, but it's, it's very pertinent to remember when you, when you're thinking about things, because like we said, it's, it's to be able to define yourself when you, when you're in the, in these positions. And then, like we said before, defining that phenomenon and making it act in the desired manner is what power is actually, you know, that's what we're taking as the, the true definition of what power is. And certain groups and certain people are able to do that. When you tap into yourself and, you know, right before you're ready to tap out, tap in, you tap into yourself and you figure out those things and you figure out those strengths and those weaknesses where you can, you know, navigate in the best ability possible. And DJ kind of alluded to where, you know, you we're so caught up in, okay, you know, if I do this or I get this job or I get this position and I, I do these certain things, then it means X amount of dollars. But we don't really think about the the effects to the legacy. And I think that may be one of the discourses when it comes to the the vast differences between the groups of people. And there's a, a, a wave, if you will, that is and not, I don't want to use the word trend. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say woke and none of that stuff, but it's just a, 
a, a, a wave of just thinking where it's like, okay, maybe the legacy is slightly more important than this extra, like you said, a little bit of money. Like after taxes and all of the bull, is it really worth it to now you could possibly put the future at a disadvantage and specifically your future and not just in terms of yourself, but your legacy if you got one coming. So it's like, okay, if I, if I do this this way now, I can forfeit that $10,000 raise, but now my future, you know, this right. future has way more inclusivity, way more diversity because it's like, okay, I can be selfish when I'm in this position because I've checked that box. I'm in this box. I've been typecast into this role and now I can do as much as I can and just, you know, run to the top. But now that I'm there, am I going to open it up because I'm scared that if I open up, you know, too much, now the box going to break and then they're going, you know, the box can only hold so much. But what about making that box bigger for more people to come in? Like that's really, you know, that's really the the, 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 the tough decision that a lot of people got to make. That's when you really got to tap into your emotional intelligence and understand about yourself and define yourself. Like, will you be able to do that? And if you know that that's more important or more beneficial, because it's more beneficial to yourself if you really think about it. Right. Right. It's really more beneficial to yourself to ensure that your future does good because, I mean, we could def you can, we could go down the rabbit hole of just you know generational wealth and that thing of just how it's gonna how it pays off in the end because if your kids ain't struggling, you ain't struggling. But if you can't no, see that real. far, if you can't see that far ahead based on being selfish in your own decisions because it's not directly affecting you. That's the thing that a lot of people can't get past. It's like, okay, I can do this here, and then I can make sure that my child gets in. But what about letting other people in like me so that their children can get in too? That's, that's, that's you know, because, it, it, sure, you know, that's, that's the thing about that, that box, though. Once that box is created, it creates a competition to get into the mm -hmm. box because they already know, like, look, we only got, just like with the lottery with all these charter schools and things like that, where it's like we only got so many slots. New York just went through a scandal with it. They're going through a scandal now where it was like the, you know, the the tech schools and the college prep schools and the specialty high schools are supposed to let in so many minority school uh, minority students through the lottery, and they found out like all of these schools out of a hundred, you know, hundreds of positions, they let in like five black kids. Like, what you mean you got that? The boxes, the you know, you got that much, and this is one big box saying get into the special school. Mm -hmm. And out of all of those boxes, you only let five or five or six be black. But we're fighting to get into it, though. So they're creating this box, and we're fighting to get typecasted. So when you fought so hard to get into this small box, are you really going to break this box down, or are you going to make this box work for you and only you? Right. And, and Dr. Levin, man, before you, before you jump in quickly, what you're saying, what you're saying is huge because we, we talked about this maybe a week or two ago, but we didn't have a show. And everything, every decision is an opportunity cost. And I think that people, people really need to understand that. We make these decisions and we arbitrarily make them like they impact nothing. It's either now or later. You either pay now or you pay later. And when you pay with time, you're, you're paying with a really expensive currency. So, you know, the decisions that you're making, you brought up your legacy, your future, you really are, you're, everyone is a test case, so to speak. What, what is acceptable, what type of norms can be established, and, and what have you. But for folks just looking for somewhere to start, we, we talked about this as well. 
you can do anything, but you can't do everything. So you have to be focused. So when you start talking about this, the scenario of this box, because you fight so hard to be in this talent pool, so to speak, or of candidates that are going to be selected from this box, sometimes it is really difficult to understand that you may need to break out of it and, and you may need to be the person to really burst this thing open. But when you really understand the fact that you can do anything you decide to work to do, anything you want to work for, that box really can't hold you. At that point, it's a matter of you understanding that you can't do everything, but you can do anything. And getting out of that box is a core priority because you can't accomplish the change that you need to accomplish from inside of there. And that's key to understand because that's where the generational and transitional things happen is when you can break free from that. Dr. Levin, what do you got? No, this is this is precisely the line that I was uh, that that I was thinking along. It's people look at their uh, their tough situation, the time where you were standing on the uh, on the um, financial aid line, or you know, man, you're trying to make sure you get all your classes in time, and trying to make ends meet while you're in college to pay uh, fees or whatever it is that you have to have to pay. So you look at that as your struggle, right? And then you mess around and you get, quote, unquote, there, right? You're at a place where you're making good money, and you can choose to, you know, to sort of float and be comfortable. And that comfort is where the real sort of hampering you from and keeping you from getting to your real destiny exists, right? When when that fire is under you, you don't move. You don't struggle. When your bills are when your bills are late, you gonna you gonna do what you need to do to hustle in order to go where you want to go, which is to finish college. To, to get up to that next level to do those things when that pressure's on you, man, it makes you want to act. But, oh, once you get comfortable making yourself act, that's when it gets tough, all right? And I can speak to this personally. When you, when, you know, when, once you are at the, at the university or in the company and they're happy to have you there, and at least act like they welcome your opinions and all the rest of this type of stuff, it's easy to stop pushing, right? And it's easy to stop. You, you know, now you have to create the pressure yourself. They and that's where security. Yeah, man. And that's when you have to, you have to create, you have to create, craft and create a vision. You have to understand why, uh, why God gave you, so much more than is necessary to do the job that you're doing right now, right? And you have to craft something that seems so big that it that it borders on ridiculous. And when I say it borders on ridiculous, I don't mean it's on the not ridiculous side. It borders on the other side where you know it's at least a little bit ridiculous where it's not just going to happen, but you're going to have to wake up every day 
and do something incrementally to push yourself to, to go there, that you're going to have to dig a little bit, that you're going to have to press a little bit, and eventually you might have to press a lot, and you're going to get used to having to press, and you're going to get used to having to push, and you're going to get used to having to exert effort, and all of that creates strength, and that's the strength that you're going to need to actually, actively, and realistically pursue that goal that's on the other side of ridiculous. You've got to create an environment for yourself that you want this new thing so much that you create your own discomfort, right? And once you create that that discomfort and you have that vision and you have your direction, you're always executing to move yourself closer to it. So, yeah, you talk to me, man, I got some some, some scary big goals. Dr. Loving Show, like Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil, and I want to be peers with them when we're talking about financial health. That's a big goal. Does it border on the other side of ridiculous? Probably. But I'm making myself uncomfortable enough to push every single day to get there. And I have a realistic, crazy thought that is going to happen. Why? Because I'm exerting the effort in that direction. And so with what you're doing, with what we're doing, if you're on that job every day, right, and you've gotten to the place where you are completely comfortable, you you might have messed around and died there. Not even <laughs> no, even that on your way to it. You don't want to let those dreams die that you have. You know that there's something in you. Push towards it, right? Because that that's what makes you uniquely you. And those other little things that you're doing, those are fine. But you, as that person you are, that own unique perspective that you bring to the table, there's nobody else that can do that. When I say people are more important than things, that's what I mean, right? And so you've got to, you've got to push and motivate yourself. I don't care if you got to listen to other podcasts, do other things. Um, I don't know what, what you need to do to get yourself going. But you know that there's something deeper in you, and hey, let's go get it. You brought up you brought up a great point that you know I just want to bring up to both of you all is you know you said you got some crazy big dreams, and I I don't know about you all, but I know for a fact myself personally I have in 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 the terms of pure dreams like you go to sleep and you have a dream. I have vivid dreams. A lot of people say lucid dreams. I have those too. You know, I have dreams where, you know, I'm flying and some are very, you know, very vivid, very creative, artistic, what have you, and things of that nature where things out of the ordinary and things that are not normal happen. And I know that happens to no more people than just myself. And, you know, when you when people tell other people about those types of dreams in that context, it's very easy to believe that they had a dream where they were fighting a dragon and flying and things of that nature. And it's so normal. But when we're talking about actual dreams that people want to manifest in terms of their lives and they're so big, why are people so quick to discount those dreams as, oh, that's crazy? But if I tell you that same dream that I laid down ahead last night, I was fighting the dragon and flying, everybody's fascinated, like, oh, my God, what a crazy dream. But then I tell them, I want to do this, I want to do this, and I want to own this. And then it's like, whoa, that's too big. Why is that? Man, listen. <clears throat> I learned a long time ago, long time ago being 21 years old, you have to protect your dreams from people who have had their dreams stolen by other people. 
You have to do it because <clears throat> what you get is a situation where unbeknownst to said person, they're simply placing the limitations on your life that was placed on theirs as opposed to imparting the lessons on you that would help you better navigate the situation a little bit better than they did. Oh, no, nah, man, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I'll be very clear. I mean, my, my goals and my dreams have evolved over time, but I remember sharing these things with you when we were at Tuskegee. One of the things that I thought was, man, you know, when I graduate, if I can just figure out a way to make a hundred thousand dollars, man, I'll be, I'll be good. I'll be straight. I'll never have to worry about anything again. Wrong. Okay. So <laughs> you have to reset, but even that, even that, having that conversation with with people that I loved and cared about, it was, well, hey, now, don't go get beside yourself and think that you can make all that money. I mean, concepts of money matter. So when you're talking to a person and the poverty line is $28,000 where they live, $100,000 may not be something that they feel like is attainable because they don't need it to live. If you move to one of these cities that we live in, you almost got to have it. So in terms of my dreams, when I really started to think about what I wanted to do, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to also be in corporate. I wanted to be philanthropic. I wanted to sit on a board. I wanted to do all these things. How are you going to do all that? I'm going to manage and divide my time properly, and I'm going to choose a spouse that's supportive of that and who also wants to live that lifestyle. See, no one no one said that. This is how, how you plan on doing all of that? You have to protect your dreams from people, and that's why it's important to do exactly what we talked about in Episode 1. Know who you have strategic partnerships with, and know who's in your power circle because those are the people that you can invest your dreams, goals, and admirations with because they're going to invest back into you. You can pour into each other. It is hard to pour when you're empty, and it's also hard to pour into someone who's always running out of gas because you're going to find yourself in a situation where they're always on E, and you're not going to always have it to give. So, you know, again, like understanding who you're supposed to share with and who you can is critically important because you'll find yourself doubting yourself. And it's easier for someone to imagine something that they do, that they know does not exist. But when they hear you put a plan in front of them for how you're going to do what it is that they thought was impossible, sometimes that's heart-wrenching and shattering for that person. And it's hard to be happy with some for someone else when you're not happy with yourself. So you got you you have to be careful, man, who you sharing your dreams and your goals with, especially when they are the types of dreams and goals that you have, that a jumbo has, that I have. It's it's difficult because people are gonna say you're crazy. Oh no, nah, man, you crazy. That can't happen. You guys are not gonna do a podcast. Well, why not? This is what we do anyway. We're not doing anything different than we do anyway. Except recording what we're doing. And giving and sharing many, it with people. Sharing it pose, with people. I want to pose a question to everybody listening. Is how many raisins in the sun do you have? And be honest with yourself. 
if you do like a lot of people that we get feedback from and they, you know, they take notes and they really listen to what, you know, everybody is saying is be honest with yourself. Cause you know, in that step one that we talked about in, in the, in the main episode was defining yourself when it comes to avoiding this box and, you know, how many raisins in the sun do you have? And everybody, you know, should understand that reference. If not, Langston Hughes wrote a, wrote a poem, A Raisin in the Sun, where he talked about dreams being deferred, and they shrivel up like a raisin in the sun. And that happens to a lot of us when we share with the wrong group of people, to where we let mm-hmm. their, their comments become that sunlight that shrivels up that, 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 that raisin, where it's like, okay, Maybe they are right. Maybe my dream is too big. When I say, oh, I want that $100,000 job and to do all of these things, then it's like, oh, they can't fathom it. So the, the, the one thing you got to do is be honest with yourself is who you sharing with. If they're literally not on that same level, if they are not part of your strategic partnerships in your power circle, don't share it with them. And don't feel guilty about not sharing. Just let them see it. Because once they see it, then that becomes an inspiration, possibly for them, or it can take another. It can take a different road, but you taking care of what you got to take care of. Everybody don't deserve Amen. to know everything that you got going on. Moving in silence is a is a is a is a it's a, it's a, it's a trait, a highly useful and and positive trait to have, just to be able to be stealthy, and not even in a malicious manner, just in a manner that is for self preservation. And for progress to help you, you know what I'm saying, navigate. It's literally just like, okay, you know what? I don't need to share with that person because I, I already know from the onset. That's that's where your emotional intelligence really kicks in. Like you already know when you drop little hints about certain things that one friend who ain't never really on board. They'll never, you know, directly discourage you, but they always throw those little hints like, I don't know. You know, are you you sure? <laughs> no, if you tell your friend something and they ain't right behind you, like, hurry up and do it. Or when is it going? And if they cannot constantly question you, like, when you going to do this so I can, you know, support. They made the people you need to share with. Right. Yeah, yeah man. When you Listen. when you are trying to, when you're trying to grow a seed, right, when you when you have something that you're trying to grow, yeah, you, you, you gents from Alabama know more about this than I do, right? You need, you need fertile soil, right? And you need to take care of it, right? It's gonna need it's gonna need water and sunlight. And some people are just natural, just bring natural water, right? They that's just how they are. You tell them you want to have this, they start sending you information. I got a buddy like that. I was, you know, I do a video. He sends me things about, hey man, you should take a look at this microphone. Not saying negative things like, hey man, this microphone might make your voice sound better, right? Oh, take a look at, take a look at this tripod so you could get this better angle or this lighting. Those type of people. Shout out to my buddy uh, Kevin Washington, MD. Just one, one of many people who I have who are water bearers in my life, man. Who, who try to help uh, cultivate, plant, plant water and grow seeds. And then you have people who have salt. And that's all they got. <laughs> and I think, you know, they, they, it's by virtue of many cases of, of how they've lived and, and the, the sweat that they, have, that they have brought. Man, they don't have that much to show for it, but they do have salt. Well, if anybody has ever studied how they destroyed other countries after they, um, after they would uh, conquer them in the Bible, one thing that they would do would be to plow salt into the ground so that nothing ever grows there again. The place 
becomes uninhabitable. And there are people who will bring, by virtue of that being all that they have, salt to your seed and destroy not just the seed, but the soil around it and your environment. And you get to the place where if you listen to them long enough and you allow them to bring that salt to you, then nothing will grow. All right? Yes, see, it's full of your tears. That's right, man. So you got to be, be careful about who you surround yourself with and, and definitely careful about what you allow them to contribute to the things that you find important and actually want to advance in your life, right? Some folks need arm distance. Some folks need state statewide distance, right? Sometimes you got to just – Detach yourself from individuals in certain ways because they are persistently negative and persistent with that salt, and they just can't help themselves. Well, you can help them to help you by keeping them away from you. (laughs) That's just what it's right. Not like like that. Yourself into the Dream Protection Program. Mm -hmm. Enroll like that. That's serious, man. I think that people people don't understand how serious the ability to act on the idea is because it only belongs to you for a certain amount of time, right? So Mm -hmm. the idea is not exclusive to you. A lot of people have great ideas. It's the, it's the people that act on their idea that ultimately are the ones that are successful. And you have a ton of other people. Exactly. You have a ton of other people sitting down going, Oh man, you know, I thought about doing that before. Of course you did, but you, you sat on your ass, but it's, it's, it's not always about having all the resources. It's about what are you willing to do to move on it. Ideas are like energy, and you're not going to always have the greatest energy, but if you can get that emotion, you know, like the law of, every, like, you know, object in motion stays at mo- in, in motion or whatever, the hardest thing to do is to get started. So, you know, I'm grateful and appreciative for the folks that I'm around because when I have ideas, I'm getting a constant phone call from author. Have you put out any content? Did you do a video this week? I'm like, dude, it's Monday at 5.30 in the morning, and you just had a baby. How are you calling me? It's because he really cares. When I'm talking to Dr. Loving, it's, hey, I'm ready for next week. I've been thinking about these things. So I have a constant check-in, and then it's my friend's, you know, that are that are outside this trio, part of my power circle, my strategic partnerships. A good friend of mine today tendered his resignation at a nuclear power plant. He has a great job. He decided it wasn't worth his time to go anymore. Imagine that. Imagine that he woke up and he said, you know what, man, it is no longer worth my time to come into this nuclear facility and earn all of this money that these people want to give me because I have things that I would much rather be doing. You know what's crazy? You so bring he up put a point that, you know, I don't mean to cut you off, but you bring up that good point. No, it's fine. Like, we, we know a lot of people, you know, personally and some more personally than others. We know a lot of people, all three of us who are, you know, heavily into the corporate realm and, you know, well-paying jobs, six figures and up, and they walk away from it. And then you've got a lot of people who look at them and it's like, are you crazy? You walked away mm-hmm. from $250,000 mm-hmm. a year to do right. what? Because you dreamed right. about owning this and this company? You crazy. Right. And them the type of people that you don't need around you. 
You can't have. Well, a you look at you, got, you really got to protect your dreams in that in that manner. You look at uh, you look at one of our Tuskegee brothers, uh, uh, Mr. Barr. Mr. Mm-hmm. Barr uh, runs one of the fastest growing companies in Atlanta. Shout out to uh, shout out to Mr. Barr. Um, but I saw an article or a post today that talked about the fact that just three years ago, he was in a very well paying job, one hundred thirty, hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. By all accounts, he's doing well. Well, he decided that that wasn't good enough for him. He decided, though, and he acted on the idea that he had And in 2016. And, and again, these are dated figures. In 2016, he had crossed a $2 million per year threshold. <clears throat> that is taking the idea, putting a plan together, and moving on action. But it takes the confidence that Dr. Loving talked about earlier. You have the requisite skills in many cases. It takes impeccable timing and confidence. You have to time this thing right. And you have to build a professional resume that says that you're capable of doing <clears throat> excuse me, what it is you want to do. And, you know, there are countless examples of folks that we've attended college with who've, who've done those things. I mean, I look at you as a serial entrepreneur, and I know that, you created a situation where any day you wake up and you decide that you're no longer going to corporate, you can roll over and look at your wife and say, I'm going to sleep in today because I'm just not going. And that's a great space to be in when you can do the things that you love and earn money for your family. But it also puts you in a position to, you talked about the legacy earlier. It's going to do you a world of good to be able to tell Avery I have five businesses that you can take over if you so choose to. It's up to you what you want to do. But she now has options. And Dr. Jumbo talked about it in the last talk. You're not going to tell Anaya what she's not going to do. And it's the same thing in this house. Dallas will have options. And he's, he's going to be surrounded by the very best people in my life, their children, their support system, as well as mine, and he'll know that he has options. Now, I may not be able to develop a team to pay to get him into uh, Harvard or what have you, but he will have options. We, but we, but you know, despite that fact, he would definitely have the connection to get into all of the finest of HBCUs around the country. Oh, absolutely, and the world, because uh, Dr. Levin you, uh, posted that article. I mean, it's it's kind of old, but it, it's it's pertinent and valuable to bring up that the U.S. Virgin Islands Institute. Uh, what is it? University, <laughs> University of the Virgin Islands is like three, yeah. four years now, and it's an HBCU. Yeah, man, uh, beautiful yeah. place to go to school. So you know, we have those options now as well. Had I had I known, I might <laughs> I, I might have thrown my name into that hat to go go to school down there. But you know, we all we all revel in our choices, and I'm glad of what we did, what we did get from where we got it from. Um, but yeah, that's the, you know the power of encouragement and having the right group of people around you. Just and that's you know that speaks to the point of having a strategic partnership. You can have a strategic partnership where you have people in place that specifically do just that, where they encourage you to you know create options uh, for yourself and encourage you to you know follow your dreams like in actuality and not always throw it to the side. It's like, are you sure? Because I mean, if they question it, then you're questioning. And once you start questioning, like DJ said, you'll lose it. Because like you said, it's an energy. 
Because every time you say something to somebody or you present an idea and somebody will say, you know what, I thought about something like that. That, sound, that sounds good. You know, that, that came across my mind the other day. It's like, yeah, but you didn't act on it. And I'm trying to act on it, but now you're deferring me from acting on it. Now it's going to be another raisin in the sun with yours, and now we got the California raisins. And don't nobody want that. <laughs> <laughs> nah, we don't. We don't. We don't. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Cool to look at, fun to play with, but it ain't really what you want your life to be. Because you know what you really want it to be. It's a dream for a reason. It's supposed to look good. It's supposed to feel good. You look good. You feel good. You play good. They pay good. Primetime said it the best. And we know it's the truth. <laughs> right. We know it's the truth. We've seen it work. We've seen, we've seen that phenomenon act in the desired manner, so we know what power looks like. But um, with that being said, Dr. Levin, you can go ahead and give your closing remarks. Oh, I, you know, I, I feel like I've talked a lot today. <laughs> and, I, uh, and I just want for people to, uh, to recognize that the dream that you have has value and that perspective you bring that special spark that is you is 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 beyond valuable that you are priceless okay and i think it's important for you to recognize that that there's no one like that is that can bring exactly what you bring even if somebody else comes up with that idea and and you say oh man i i thought about that they won't do it the exact way that you that that you would have done it, all right. And so it's important for you to bring that vision that you have to develop it, right? To to um, work with people around you who who can help you cultivate it and really start to push and shape the world to be as it ought to be because you're here, right? Because if, if you weren't meant to be here, you wouldn't be here. So what are you here for? Well, you know within inside of you that thing that you desperately want to do is that thing you can't stop thinking about. Well, all right, now you've thought about it. Let's conceive about how we can move from where we are to where we want to go and keep taking steps daily to get there. And no matter who comes around, yeah, you want to be protective of your vision, but recognize that at the end of the day it's yours and that responsibility lies with you. And you just keep doing what you need to do to make sure that you don't get too comfortable in where you are because you recognize it's important for you to go where you need to be. So that's all I've got. DJ, go ahead with your closing remarks. Man, it's been a uh, it's been an interesting night of conversation, and you know this was something that was weighing on me because I, I speak to a lot of kids at various uh, school districts around the Philadelphia and Delaware area, and it's, it's it's hard when you when you look out and you see, you know, the socioeconomic situations that some of these kids might face. And you see that they're trying, you see that they're highly intelligent, but systemically you see that there are things that are going to be an impediment for them that they have no idea about. That, that, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. And I think that, you know, we have to do more, both from a, a, a corporate perspective in terms of getting out, giving back, but also raising awareness and also from a from an educational perspective, getting involved in uh, the alumni networks 
in our respective areas to make sure that these kids understand that there are opportunities and options outside of traditional uh, WPIs that they might think that are the best available choices. Um, you know, as it relates to avoiding the box, AJ, it's, it's, it's hard to say it's simple, but it really is. Own who you are. You define who you are and what you want for your career. We talked about managing your manager in the last episode, but it's, it's really true. You need to control the narrative, and you need to make sure that your manager and your leadership team has a vested interest in you and where you're going. Dr. Jamu says it all the time that people are more important than things, and that theme continues to just resonate because at the end of the day, you really have to remember that all the decisions that you make are at an opportunity cost and that sometimes you may have to choose advancing the conversation over advancing your W-2, especially when the amount of money is so insignificant that it's not going to change much. You know, real change happens at the uh, thought leadership level, and it doesn't always happen uh, in your W-2. So, you know, you need to combine those two things. We want you to grow your W-2. We also want you to do it with integrity. We want you to control who you are, define who you are, get out of that box. Understand that you got to get in it in order to be selected to have a seat at the table. But ultimately, you got to break free and get out of that box in order to enact and affect change. Thank you, as usual, gentlemen, for embarking with me on this journey. I just want to remind everybody we talked about step one, which was define yourself. And when you define yourself, also keep in mind to define your legacy. And, you know, don't be selfish with it, but also be selfish with your dreams. Don't share it with everybody. Enroll yourself in the Dream Protection Program. Everybody does not deserve to, you know, be included or to be privy to your dreams. They're personal for a reason. That's why you and only you have them when you have them. It's energy, like DJ said, that floats around. Once you catch it, if you want to define that phenomenon and make it act in the desired manner, that's you taking control of your power and making things happen. If not, let the energy flow on to the next person and see what they do with it. And if it comes back around to what somebody says to you, don't defer that dream for them. Let them make that choice on their own. But as usual, we want to thank you all for embarking on this journey with us. You can follow us on Instagram at BrethrenPod. That's B-R-E-A-D-R-E-N-P-O-D on Instagram. You can follow all of us at our respective websites, which will lead you to our social media. At uh, AjamuLoving.com, DestrianWellsConsulting.com, and MMBBGW.com. This has been the Brethren Show podcast after show. We thank y'all, and we love y'all, and we out.